Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, I'm Freddie Sayers, and this is Unheard. Back in March, everyone's world suddenly changed. From this evening, I must give the British people a very simple instruction. You must stay at home. So on day one of lockdown, we launched Lockdown TV, a place where we could gather experts, scientists, writers, politicians, thinkers, to try to help us understand what was going on in this strange moment and what kind of world we were going to get at the end of it. And now, due to popular demand, here we are in podcast form. Welcome to Lockdown TV. University campuses are at the centre of the free speech debate. In fact, they, they seem to be deciding the contours of what can and can't be said. And one university that's been talked about a lot in that context is the University of Cambridge. Joining us now to tell us about some of the decisions that are coming up in that place is Dr. Arif Ahmed. So you are a reader in philosophy. Um, you're a fellow of Gonvalin Keyes College. Uh, and you've become involved in the debate there as to what the policy should be on what people can and can't say. Give us a bit of background. The background to this, I suppose, goes back as far as 2016, when the university first released a freedom of speech code, which governs what you can and can't say in a university. And I'd have thought, to be honest, that the freedom of speech code at a university should just be that you can say whatever you like as long as it's legal. Um, but... Obviously, they have a need to, to say something a bit more and a bit more complicated, and so they released a code. The most recent development was that in earlier this year, so around the spring, the university has decided to update its freedom of speech code. And the principal change, the one that's caused most people concern, I think, is that now the code requires members of staff, uh, all members of staff, um, and students and visitors um, to be respectful in exercising their speech towards the opinions and identities of others. Now, in itself, that might seem harmless, and I'm sure the intentions behind it were generally good. I've got no reason to doubt that. Um, but it is slightly concerning because the notion of respect is somewhat vague, and it raises the concern that people might end up being disciplined, or perhaps in the future even dismissed, um, because they say things or teach things uh, that don't show sufficient respect um, towards somebody else's beliefs or somebody's identity, where that could mean, for instance, their religion. So we propose that they replace the word respect with 
the word tolerate or tolerance, depending on the context. Um, so the requirement is now no longer, as we proposed, that you should be required to respect other people's beliefs. Uh, it was just that you should be required to tolerate them, which is a much more, you know, it's a much more relaxed requirement. Um, uh, and it allows pretty much any kind of speech and research and teaching. OK, well, so let me just stop you there for one sec. So let's let's try and bring this to life with some examples. Mm-hmm. So if someone has a point of view that you would consider to be highly offensive, let's say it's um, t- taking the um, Mickey out of a particular religion, or if it's worse still, if it's in, in favor of some kind of dreadful practice, um, you have to show them respect, or you have to respect that position, no matter how awful it is, according to this new code. Is that, is that kind of the problem? That's correct, yes. So for instance, according to this new code, if someone was, for instance, they identified as a white nationalist, let's say, or they identified as an Islamic fundamentalist, that was, that was what you might call their identity, then what you're saying uh, and what you're researching and what, what you're writing, according to this code, it seems, would have to respect their opinions and identities. And what you're yeah. saying is tolerate, but not necessarily respect. So you could be disrespectful of any religion, any mm. point of view, but also tolerant. Exactly. So tolerance just means not trying to stop it from existing. So speech is pretty much by definition tolerant. Um, I'm not preventing you from holding your view. I'm not preventing you from being a white nationalist, Islamic fundamentalist, or whatever it is. Um, I'm simply ridiculing it. Um, an example would be those cartoons, um, the, those cartoons that caused so much problems in, in France recently, Charlie Hebdo cartoons. Um, those would count as tolerant, but they wouldn't count as respectful of a religion. You, your worry is that something like those cartoons might have been banned under this new policy. Exactly. My concern is that the universities will say in this code, we allow freedom of speech, but it expects its staff to exercise, in exercising their freedom of speech, it expects them to show tolerance, to show respect to other identities and beliefs. Um, and does that rule out my using, for instance, those cartoons if I were doing a class on religion? Well, maybe it does. And if it does, then I think that's wrong. Um, and that's, that's an example of why I want to replace this text with tolerate. So let's just reply this to some examples that have happened in the last year, because Cambridge has actually been in the news a lot around freedom of speech issues. The first um, one was in the spring when Jordan Peterson was invited to be a visiting fellow, and then his invitation was rescinded after students protested about some of his views and it wasn't considered appropriate. How would that have played out, do you think, uh, with this sort of updated free speech principle? I mean, you might think, I don't, I don't know that this is true, and I've got no particular reason to think this is true, but you might have thought this, the university's proposals uh, were actually written with that kind of example in mind because the language of respecting other identities um, could have been written with the Jordan Peterson example in mind, and it certainly would have vindicated rejecting his application to be a visitor here. So you think they would have made the argument that he has not been sufficiently respectful in the past to, you know, for example, trans people, there was a controversy about him using the right pronouns or whatever it was um, in Canada, and that might have been used as evidence to say we can't invite him here because he's not respectful enough. Exactly. Or for instance, yeah, for instance, even even at the time, people thought he wasn't being respectful of a certain religious identity. And as you say, in the past, people thought he may not have been respectful of trans. And that illustrates actually one of the problems with the notion of respect, which is that as well as being vague, it's a separate issue, but it's also a problem, is that the notion of respect is subjective. So that whether I'm showing respect or disrespect to someone depends in a large part on their own reaction. 
um, how touchy that person is um, or how touchy the ideology they have is. Um, so it's going to be very hard, you know, to justify in the face of this kind of policy, inviting visitors, for instance, you know, who show what could clearly, you know, count as being disrespectful towards the people who are most likely to notice disrespect. There was also a, an academic called Noah Carl, um, who was investigating some quite sort of controversial areas around um, behaviours of different races, and um, I think it was to do with IQ, and that's always a, a, a kind of famously um, and understandably controversial topic. Um, mm. And I believe he was eventually removed from um, the faculty, and that then caused a big uproar. Would this have applied in that example, do you think? There are several issues with Noah Carl. So there's the issue about whether his research would have created certain kinds of, of um, tension or disrespect or have had political ramifications, that's one issue, which I think should have nothing to do with, with your research. There's another issue which is to do with poor scholarship and so on, um, which is one of the things that was cited in the case for, um, for removing him. Um, now, all of that is currently, you know, under sort of um, illegal case. It's going through a legal case. So it's hard to be definitive about what was right and what was wrong with that. However, I think it's quite reasonable for many people to think, and people were concerned at the time, um, that there's something pretty terrifying about what happened in the Noah Carl. There was a, a third example. We had someone uh, writing a piece for us on Unheard, uh, an undergraduate who was upset that um, a, a porter um, at Cambridge, so this is not even a member of the academic staff, um, had s voted against a motion or had had a, a political view in his capacity as a local councillor, I think, um, raising questions around some um, trans ideas. And mm -hmm. he was then suspended, I believe, from his post. Mm -hmm. And that became another controversy. Would, do you think that this kind of protection should extend beyond the faculty and should actually include anyone who's associated with the university? Yes. Absolutely. So the, the proposed policy actually refers to staff, students and visitors, so that it does, it does apply to students. Um, but the proposed policy, I think, would have ruled out somebody, so suppose you're a student um, and you're thinking, well, maybe I should be writing this article for, for Unheard or for a student newspaper um, about what's happened um, in this, about this particular issue with, with, to do with trans or perhaps some other issue to do with trans matters or to do with race or whatever. And then you read the university statement, which says that you have the right to freedom of speech, but in exercising it, you should show respect for all these various groups. And then you might think, well, I don't really know if what I write is going to count as showing respect. So I don't really know if I'm protected. So I'll take the line of least resistance, which is I won't bother to write it. So uh, it, could, of, it would have a kind of soft censorship effect. Yeah, I think that's one of the more obvious and immediate dangers, independently of whether people will actually lose their jobs. What will happen is, whether, whether that happens immediately, what will happen is that people will just not write things and, think, and say things that would otherwise have been written or said. One question that I think a lot of viewers would have, which is something mm -hmm. you raised at the start of this, is why have a policy at all? It's a university. People should be allowed to say whatever they like. And if people don't like their arguments, they should win them with counter arguments. Is anyone making the case to just scrap the policy and have the default principle being you can say whatever you like? Well, I believe that there is a statutory requirement um, to, to have some sort of free speech code or free speech policy. And I think there is some value in something which goes into detail as just how extensive the protections are. And most universities use the wording, I think, which goes back to the 1988 Act which is the way the wording about how it protects um, 
uh, uh, academics' freedom to do research and so on without fear of losing any um, uh, losing their jobs or losing promotions or losing other things. Um, and so I think it's good to have something which reassures people, which actually says says that. But you're quite right; something like that could be done pretty briefly. Um, so it could be, you know, it could be something which says just you, know, you can say what you like as long as it's legal. A number of people that I approached said that they sympathise with my general concerns and indeed with my concern about the specific wording. Um, but we're unwilling to sign something in public. In other words. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze... Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So you even felt the kind of social pressure effect in drafting this amendment. Absolutely. So there was a long time where I didn't even think I would get the 25 signatures on the initial amendment um, for that reason. Um, but it was, it was because of that, that I mean, partly because of that, and partly also because I thought, you know, I wanted to do this in a constructive spirit. Um, I thought it best to go through the amendment route. Though in some ways, the idea would be to have you know, a, free, a statement saying, you can say what you like as long as it's legal at the end. <laughs> You're now sticking your head above the parapet. Your name is associated with this amendment. Do you fear backlash? Do you think you'll, you'll get uh, students who are unhappy with you or other members of staff who kind of give you the cold shoulder at the uh, canteen? Or do you think it'll be fine? I'm sure there are people who don't like me because of the things that I've done. Um, and I'm sure there are people who disagree with me. Um, and to those, I'd say, well, we can have an argument about it. Um, I welcome that. Um, of course, it's true. You know, the fact the fact that some people don't like something you've done is a sign that you're doing something. Um, you know, and it can be a sign that you're doing something right. Um, in terms of larger fears, I don't think it's not it's not so much that it takes a massive amount of courage to do something like this. I think it's just you know there you know, it, it just takes not liking being told what to do. And you know, I'm kind of fed up with being told what to do, and in this case, being told what to think. Um, so I think it's important that we that we resist this. 
The reason this really matters for the world outside, and it's not just a case of kind of internal university politics, mm. is that what happens on university campuses does spill out. And the people who graduate from those places then uh, populate the corporations and the powerful um, organizations of the future. So it, in a sense, it's the kind of crucible where we as a society decide what we think about things like free speech. Um, have you been worried about the, the direction that's gone? It, it seems like this is much more of an issue now than it was 10 years ago. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and there's a couple of things there. One thing is that, of course, you're absolutely right. The universities are a kind of crucible from which um, all of these ideas spill out. Um, so to take an example, if you think about trans issues, for instance, um, you know, that's not just academics talking to each other. Um, about you know what it is to be a woman, uh, what it takes, you know, whether it's a social construction or not, that's actually now spilled out into affecting people's lives. Um, and we've seen, you know, with what's what's been happening in Britain recently, you've seen that it can have a very profound effect on people's lives. You know, whether for better or for worse. You know, the Gender Recognition Act, issues about whether you can give consent to to puberty blockers. You know, these are all things that go to the heart of what makes someone's life better or worse. Um, and these are ideas that come from from academia. So clearly it's very important um, that the, you know, these ideas be discussed freely within an academic setting rather than some particular dogma or ideology being imposed. Why do you think it is? What's happening in our society more broadly that people are so anxious about certain things and, and that things like freedom of speech on university campuses, which 10 or 20 years ago would have been a kind of given, are now not so? Why is that happening, do you think? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I think, well, I mean, it's hard to know exactly what's behind it. There are probably many things. One thing that might be behind it is the marketization of universities. Um, so the fact that, and in, in many ways, you know, marketization could be good, and, and um, I'm not always opposed to it. Um, but the fact that now universities, we regard students much more as customers than I think used to, means that there's much more emphasis on making them feel comfortable and making them feel at home. And in the rhetoric of the sorts of people who I politically and philosophically oppose, you find them saying things which are quite reasonable, which is that you know, a university is a community of scholars and students, and scholars and students should be made to feel comfortable in this community so that it becomes a sort of serving some sort of social function. Um, and you can understand the move towards that if you think that actually, you know, universities actually now have paying customers. You know, um, they're, not, they're not being subsidized to provide a certain public good. They've got paying customers and they've got to give those customers what they want, or at least what they want at the time when they come. So, that's, so the, the idea of that then is I'm a, I'm a pupil, I've got my um, you know, amount of money that I'm going to spend, I'm going to shop around for a university I like, and I'm going to choose one where I feel safe or where I feel that they're not going to upset me in any way. Um, and that's the idea then, that the, the sort of marketization means that instead of universities teaching what is true, necessarily, it becomes about pleasing 18-year-olds who are arriving as undergraduates. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm not even sure if it's even that. I mean, it may be that it becomes about what administrators think will please 18-year-olds who are arriving as undergraduates. Um, and I guess administrators think, or, you know, that the language of inclusivity, advertising yourself as a very inclusive, welcoming place, and being able to show that, you know, in terms of things like your syllabus, it's, it's diversity and inclusivity, it's non-offensiveness, perhaps. Maybe they think that that's something that's going to attract 
teenagers. I'm not so sure myself. I mean, I must say that you know a lot of people who come to study the subject like like mine, philosophy, are kind of suggestible. They like having good arguments, you know. And even amongst the young people that I know at, at university here, the vast majority of them are, are tolerant and open-minded and quite quite able to cope with difficult ideas. Um, it seems to be just a small minority that's shouting loudly about it. So. So it may be that it's a misperception, but my feeling is that the, the sort of marketization of the university sector, you know, since about the year 2000, maybe a little bit before, so it's massive expansion, as you know, since then, um, has, has led to this change of attitude. Do you feel optimistic? Do you think that the, there's a fight back underway now? Um, I mean, we had Suzanne Moore on this show last week, who is a Guardian columnist who has now left there, who's kind of who has drawn a line and said that enough is enough on some of these issues. You know, we've had JK Rowling, um, mm. and increasingly mm. there does seem to be a, a bit of a fight back against some of this um, dogma and some aspects of free speech at university. Do you think it's going in the right direction? Individual liberty is always fragile. Um, it's a rare thing in the history of the world. Um, and as well as being rare, it's very fragile. Um, and it will always come under attack from different directions, sometimes from the left, sometimes from the right. At the moment, I think it's coming under attack from both the left and the right. So it will always be necessary to defend it. Um, there will never be, I expect, a permanent condition in which we can feel secure about the freedoms that we have. We must be, as they say, constantly vigilant about defending them. So I'm not optimistic in the sense that <laughs> these sorts of problems will go away forever. On the other hand, it's extremely heartening, of course, that there are people who are willing to speak out, like like Suzanne Moore, you know, who's obviously had the most dreadful, unbelievable time um, recently. How far this goes will remain to be seen. The other issue, which on which my sort of optimism turns in a way, is the extent to which these things are either generational effects or age effects. And so, what what I mean by that is that. It's not entirely clear to me whether the phenomenon that we're seeing amongst young people today, even though I don't think it's particularly widespread, is something that's going to continue when these people get into their late 20s, early 30s, 40s and start running things, or whether it's something that at least to some extent, you know, is that, you know, the kind of rebellion that teenagers are having now, just as dropping out and taking drugs is the kind of rebellion that teenagers had in the, in the late 60s and early 70s. This is the kind of thing a lot of teenagers are doing, and when they leave university, go out into the real world and have to get jobs, cope with all kinds of pressures that most adults have to face, you know, they'll very soon drop all of that stuff. Mm. Um, it's, a, it's a weird version of that, though, isn't it? Because in previous moments of kind of, you know, you think of the 68 moment, you know, the young people have been rebelling against a very conservative establishment, whilst here, these kind of things are totally embraced by corporations, by most democracies, um, and in fact they're being encouraged by the authorities. So it's not really a rebellion anymore. Yeah, that's a good point. And actually it leads up to another point that I wanted to make, which is that in fact probably the most serious threats aren't coming from the young people, the most serious threats are coming from, from above. You know, We do have a society where there's much more surveillance than there's ever been before. Even in higher education, you know, there's much more control now over what we can, what we can teach and not uh, than there used to be. Um, and perhaps it's connected with the, I'm not sure, but perhaps it's connected with the idea that universities, for instance, and other institutions must all be somehow politicized so that there are certain political goals that we all have and all of these institutions have to play a role 
in, in advancing them. That was never the way that I thought flourishing society should work. The way I think a society should work is that you have a kind of division of labor. So that, for instance, it's not the job of universities to make the world a fairer place. That's a laudable goal, but it's not universities' job to do that. And it's not the job of the National Trust, and it's not the job of the banks, and it's not the job of other public institutions. Um, Whose job is that. it? Well, it depends on what the issue is. So, for instance, if it's if it's a matter of combating racism, we have the we have, for instance, the HRC. We have a number of other bodies that that do that. Um, but it certainly isn't the job of the institutions that are there to discover the truth. The university's job is to teach people in, in independent thought and to seek truth and knowledge. Um, and those goals are diluted. Um, if they're put in the service of some higher political aim, or if they're put in the service of, of consumer-driven aims like making people feel comfortable, making people feel included. And if indeed there is going to be a clash ultimately between feeling comfortable and freedom of speech, um, then I think we want to be clear which side we're on. Um, and it's clear to me which side universities should be on. And it's, it's clear what side you're on, and uh, I guess we hope that when the votes are counted tomorrow, you are successful. That's my hope. Dr. Arif Ahmed, thanks for talking to us and let us know how it goes. Thanks very much. It was great to talk to you. That was Dr. Arif Ahmed from the University of Cambridge, who is involved on the latest phase of their internal discussions about what should and shouldn't be allowed to be said on that university campus. We'll follow that closely. Don't forget you can watch all of our podcast interviews on our YouTube channel. Find us under Unheard and make sure to subscribe for all the latest. Thanks for joining. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.